Good morning, church family. How are you today? Got a little slow today. Is it because it's dark and weary outside? See, I had to wear my winter clothes today. It was 70 degrees. <laughs> Jessica, praise Jesus. Cold winter's coming. Cold weather's coming. You can wear all those other clothes you got. And so, uh, anyway, I want you to turn to Paul's letter to the church at Corinth, second letter, if you would, today. And while you're doing that, um, my name is Sydney. I'm here, Pastor Sid. I'm filling in for Brian Williams and Hux today. <laughs> Somebody asked me if I was sick. I said, man, no, I'm not sick. I don't want to miss out when Hux and Williams have a chance to preach. Didn't they do a great job? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Listen, the applause is great, you know, when you just hug them and say, listen, I just want to tell you how great a job you did. And, and, because, of, and because of what you said and what God's Word said, this is now how my life has changed. So if, you, if you'll please approach them at the end of the service and tell Brian, this is, I want you to know this is how your sermon over the past about, about David and Goliath, this is how it impacted my life, and this is the result, and this is, are y'all buying into that? Are we on the same you know, people say, oh, you did such a beautiful job. What does that mean? I mean, man, listen, let me tell you what. Man, this is, God said this, and this is a result. i got to change this over here. Now, that, that becomes significant to a pastor. Don't, don't tell me no more, oh, that was such a beautiful job. You know, tell him, say, man, listen, Jesus just got all over me. He convicted me because of this and this. You said this, and I read this in the Word and the Holy Spirit. Now, that's, that gets us fired up. And so... Uh, Anyway, no, we're very blessed to have some incredible, uh, the ability to have some incredible guys here on this stage. You don't know how blessed we are. We're very, very thankful for what we have. And so uh, anyway, how how many of you guys have ever dreamed about winning the lottery? Don't you dare act religious. I mean, if you, Larry, I know, I know you have. you got Leanne in your house, so I know there's been conversations. If I could just win the lottery, I would, and you come up with all these things. I would do this, 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 and that, and whatever it may be. A uh, person once said that having more money than you need is like grabbing an electric fence, okay? You ever heard of that before? And so I don't know if it's out of accident or by stupidity, whichever you want to call it. Maybe you lost a bet, but you'll understand this if you've ever done it. The more juice the tighter the hold. Y'all, y'all just are slow today. Y'all don't understand that? If you ever grabbed a hold of an electric fence, you understand exactly what I'm talking about. The more of the juice, the tighter the hold. The more money you got, the tighter the hold. It's hard to get rid of it, right? Yeah, that's right. There you go. Amen. I heard an amen. Well, anyway, I want to take you guys back to the Old Testament right quick before we get to where we're going to be at in 2 Corinthians today to sort of give you a little bit of an idea in, in the book of Deuteronomy, we find Moses, he's writing to a new generation of Israelites, um, the old generation that God had rescued out from under the bondage of slavery, the Egyptians and Pharaoh. They just struggled in trusting God. They rebelled against God. And as a result of that rebellion and that disobedience, they wandered around in the desert for 40 years until the generation died off. And so Moses is now speaking to a new generation. He's reminding them of everything that God has done, God's faithfulness, And the fact that he's preparing them for the promised land. And in chapter 15 of Deuteronomy, there's sort of a summary of the topic of generosity. And this is what Moses said in verse 7 there in chapter 15. But if there are any poor Israelites in your towns when you arrive in the land that the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted towards them. Instead, be generous. The NIV uses the word, I believe, open-handed. Be generous and lend them whatever they may 
need. If we were to define the word generous or generosity, it might be something like this, a a readiness on our part to give more than is necessary or needed. But, But listen... I already know, man, when we, start tie, when we start putting up here money, finances, and generosity, some of you guys are already nervous and fixing to have to go to the bathroom. I know how it is. But let me tell you something. God doesn't need your money, people. It's not what he needs. He doesn't need your money. But you know what God wants? He wants your heart. He, he wants your heart. And so I know any time that we talk about the subject or finances or generosity, it's really a touchy subject. But instead of sidestepping it, we want to we dive into it today, specifically going back to what Paul had written to the church at Corinth there in 2 Corinthians. Um, let me give you a little bit of a background to, to bring you up to date of where we are and what's going on so you better understand things here. So Paul, one of Paul's objectives on the third missionary journey, he was taking up an offering, a financial offering for the church back at Jerusalem because there were some struggles that were happening. There was some, some extreme poverty and Paul was collecting up this offering because he knew that the believers there in Jerusalem were wrestling. And so um, in taking up the offering for the church back in Jerusalem, it was not only a way to address the need that they had, but it was also a way for the Gentile churches that had received the gospel to say, man, listen, thank you. It was almost like paying off a, a debt. And we know that because of what Paul had written uh, earlier in, in Romans. When, and we read this um, just a few months ago in Romans 15, where this is what Paul said in, in chapter 15, verse 25 to 27 there in his letter to the church at Rome. He said, but before I come, talking about traveling to Rome, he said, I must go to Jerusalem to take the gift to the believers there. For you see, the believers in Macedonia and Achaia have eagerly taken up an offering for the poor among the believers there in Jerusalem. They were glad to do this because they felt that they owed a real debt to them since the Gentiles received the spiritual blessing of the good news from the believers in Jerusalem. They felt the least that they could do was in return is to help them Financially, So the Gentiles, the Gentile churches, those other than the Jews, had received the gospel. And this giving of an offering was not only a way to, to show appreciation, but they in, in, in turn felt like it was almost like paying off a debt to, to those that were back in Jerusalem because it was from Jerusalem, from the Jews, that the gospel had come, from Jesus had come, and salvation had come. Now, a year earlier, Paul uh, we'll, if you know anything about what's happening here, you're, you're earlier, the, the Corinthian believers had said, basically, count us into taking up this offer. Man, we want to be part. We want to be part. We want to be in. But up until this time, they hadn't kept their promise of being part of this offering. And um, maybe, maybe you've done something in your life before where you've made a promise and you've not fulfilled that promise. I mean, either we're going to be a promise keeper or we're not going to be a promise keeper. So here's Paul. He's, he's writing to these. Um, if you know anything about the church and why Paul was writing, you will know that the church at that time, there were a lot of different distractions that were happening. I mean, there were the issues of adultery. There was abuse of, sp- of spiritual gifts that were taking place, as well as a tremendous amount of division in the body of Christ. I'm so glad we don't have that these days in the church, right? So all their time and all their energy and all their efforts were taken up with all these distractions instead of them being focused on the mission of what they had been called to do, what we, the church, has been called to do. And so this issue of taking up an offering has sort of been put on the, on the back burner, and it was the father's things of their, of their minds. And so we have Paul, 
who's writing to the Corinthian believers there, and in doing so, he's going to use some of the other churches as an example to help motivate them, to encourage them, not to make them feel guilty, but it was a way of him encouraging them of what others were, were doing. And so I tell you all of this to give you a little bit of a background because I think it's really helpful specifically as we talk today. So we want to read beginning in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. And if you would just read along with me, I'm going to be reading today, not from the NLT. I'm going to be reading from the NIV. And so this is what, this is what Paul writes as he's writing to the believers there. And now, and now brothers, so he's talking to the believers there at Corinth. This is what he wants them to know. We want you to know about the grace. Every time that you see grace, I want you to underline that. We want you to know about the grace that our God has given the Macedonian churches out of the most severe trial. Their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. So we urged Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning, Titus was the one that, that went to them and encouraged them to start off with about the giving of this, this, this offering, to go back, to bring also to completion this act of grace, grace on your part, but just as you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and in complete earnestness and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this, there's that word again, grace of, of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know that, there it is, for the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich for your sake he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich for you know the grace of our lord jesus christ that though he was rich for elliot's sake and rob's sake and sydney's sake and terry's sake and uh, tess's sake and larry's sake and you know michelle's sake melissa's sake and jamie's sake for all of our sakes for all of our sakes, that he became poor, that he gave himself so that we, we, through his poverty, could become rich. Would you pray with me? Jesus, today, would you take these verses that we're going to spend some time in, and Lord, I pray that, that the meat of what you want us to hear today would be, would be with us in this room, and that our hearts would, would hear what the Holy Spirit reveals to us in our time together. Lord, I pray for our church family members that are sick. I pray for those that are struggling. Very thankful for what you have blessed us with. And Lord, we have a generous people. Help us to be encouraged today in what we see in this word, your word in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to focus our attention a little bit today on our passages. And I want to see if we might be able to discover some marks of generosity or some attributes of a generous heart. And the first thing I'd like for you to write down is this. Generosity is a signal or it's a sign. Generosity is a signal or a sign. When you see a generous person, rest assured that something is going on to prompt that generous generosity, regardless if it's the wrong motive or not. Are you with me? 
I mean, I, I know that you would never do this. I know that you would never be generous because you wanted something in return, would you? I know that you would never be generous because you were trying to manipulate a situation, but you would be generous because you felt like God was at work and you wanted to be part of what was going on. In our passage today, Paul's referencing generosity of the Macedonian believers. Listen to what what he writes there in verse 1. And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. And underline that word grace every time you you see it. We notice that word in verse 6. We notice that word in verse 7. We also notice that word in in verse 9. And that word grace in the Greek is charis. And if you were to ask, If we were to ask you, if those of you that have grown up in church, what the word grace meant, you might say something like God's riches at Christ's expense or God giving us something that we don't deserve and that would be great. But the idea idea here is that since God has been so gracious, I in turn should be gracious towards others. So generosity should be an evidence of the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. Maybe you've heard this verse, verse before, that God so loved the world that He what? He gave. He gave His one and only Son. God demonstrated His love through His grace. When we recognize and experience God's grace, it's so much easier for us in turn to become gracious to others. You might even say it this way. Grace received leads to grace being dispersed. See what generosity is? It's almost like a thermometer. It's an outside indicator of what's taking place inside of our hearts. I mean, how many times have we often heard that money is the root of all evil? But that's not really what the Bible says, is it? Money's not the root of evil. Money's paper, for goodness sakes. It's plastic. It's not money that's evil, but it's the love of money that's evil. The problem isn't with money, but it's with our hearts The Bible says the heart is deceitful of all things beyond cure. So generosity can be a sign. The second thought I want you to write down really quickly is generosity is sacrificial going back to the churches at Macedonia. This is what he writes in the midst of the very severe trial and over their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, even beyond their ability entirely on their own. There's a couple of things I want you to make note of here in reference to the generosity here coming out of Macedonia, uh, how special it was. Look at what Paul mentions in reference to some of the things that they were experiencing, severe trials. I mean, the severe trials that they were facing. Last week, Hux talked about the storms that come our way. And if you've not faced a storm, listen, if you live long enough, you're gonna face, you're gonna face plenty of storms. There are going to be those times when you don't know exactly what to do, when you feel like you're being bombarded from the left and the right in every direction. As a matter of fact, if you've not said it, there may even come a time when you say to yourself or even somebody else, I don't think I can do this any longer. I don't think I can do it. Many theologians believe that because of their new faith in Christ, many of the Macedonian believers had lost positions. They had been ostracized by, by their neighbors, by family. But it also goes on to talk about extreme poverty. You know, it's one thing to be poor, but it's another thing to be poor. I don't see any poor people in this room. You have no idea how rich you are living where you live. 
I mean, you may think that we do without, but doing without for us a lot of times may be going out to the restaurant or, you know, or not having the, the latest uh, iPhone or other gadget, gadget it may be. You know, we think about poor. We think, oh, well, I just don't have this or that. You have no earthly idea what poor is like. Lord has been very gracious to us. The word for extreme or deep being used here is to, ex to explain their poverty goes back into the Greek word means the depths of the sea, bathos. It's a way of saying desperately deep, desperately poor. Maybe you've heard the, the phrase deep in debt. It was the old song back from the 40s. Another day older and a deeper in debt, you know. Yeah, 16 tons, talking about coal miners and the, and the difficulty and the extreme poverty. So the Macedonians were not only experiencing the afflictions, there were also the troubles, but also in addition to that, the unprecedented poverty. Poverty. And yet in spite of the troubles, in spite of the hardships, they were still filled with this overflowing joy. And generosity. In other words, the joy and the generosity wasn't because life was going as planned and they had won the Powerball lottery, for goodness sake. But it was just the opposite. The joy was an attitude of generosity in spite, that joy and generosity in spite of the circumstances. With that being said, a couple things I want to, I want to give you today. This isn't going to cost you anything. This is off on the side. I want you just to, to write this down. A couple of thoughts in reference to generosity. Number one, we're to give in proportion to what we have according to our ability. Sometimes people will say, what do you give? You know, what am I supposed to give? The Old Testament talks about a, a tenth. But the tithe wasn't set aside um, because God needs our money, like I said earlier. But the tithe was a tangible way for us to honor God with the first fruits and say, God, I want to make sure that you know that you're in first place in my life. That's minimum, people. Minimum. If you really want to get down to it, the, tech, the, tech, the, the technical side of the tithe was much more than 10%. Tithe means a tenth, but if you really want to get down to the details, it was more than that. If you go back. But in Psalms 24.1, it says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. It's the attitude that God, I recognize that everything that I have, that everything that I see, that everything that I touch comes from you. And as a result, I want to honor you. See, it isn't the money that God wants, it's our hearts that he wants. When Paul was addressing the same offering he would go, that would go back to the believers at Jerusalem, this is what he wrote in chapter 1, or in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, uh, in, the, in, the, in, the first, in the first letter that Paul wrote. This is what he said on the first day of every week. Each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collection will have to be made. In other words, it should be intentional. It should be purposeful. It should already be set aside. And so there's a general, general thought there that we are to give in proportion to what we have. For Meredith and I, we, our money is in, when it comes in, there's a portion of that that goes to our tithe, our tithe to the church. And then there are other monies that we use for offerings outside of that, for missionary efforts and work that's taking place not only here but around the world. We're purposeful in that. We're very intentional in that. I love what Peter Marshall had to say. He was the chaplain of the United States Senate for close to 50 years. He once said this, and maybe you might want to write this down someplace. Give according to your income, lest God make your income according to your giving. Oh, my goodness gracious. We're also challenged not just to give in proportion to what we have according to our ability, but also we're challenged to give 
beyond. Here are the believers in Macedonia giving us an example of giving beyond. You might ask me, well, Sid, what does it look like to give beyond? I really don't know if I can answer that except going back to what Paul would write in his next chapter in chapter 9 there in, in 2 Corinthians. The second night, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, where he would say, Each man should give what he has decided in his own heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giving. In other words, our giving should be proportionally and also beyond, not as a result of being guilted into something or pressured into something, but a conscious decision to be part of what God is doing. Can, let me give you a personal example. Can I do that? When we talk about giving beyond, I, I, think, I think back 15 years ago to where Brian and Brooke and Meredith and I were at, and, and they have their own stories. And, but I, I remember where, where I was at and what I was walking through in those early days is, is trying to contemplate, God, what were you doing? Um, and, and the decision that we made didn't come because we were pressured or because uh, but it came as a result of the fact that we sensed that God was at work and we wanted to be involved. From a worldly perspective, it was probably one of the craziest things that I've ever been involved in in my life because it just didn't remember. It didn't make any sense. I remember sitting on the side of the bed that Sunday night and probably about 1230 at night and uh, Meredith saying, what's wrong with you? And I, I shared with her what I, I felt was going on and and where we were at as a couple. And, and she looked at me and she said, you're just afraid. I'm not, I'm not afraid. What are you talking about afraid? No, you're just afraid. And the more I thought about it, yeah, I guess I was afraid. I was afraid because we had a five, a three, and a one-year-old, and I was the sole money provider in our home. And Meredith, had, we had sort of made a commitment that while our kids were were young and while they were at, you know, before they got to school, Meredith would stay home. And so I mean, I was the one that was working. And to be part of planning a church, to plant a church would mean that I would leave, I would walk away, we would walk away from security and from safety. And, and I thought to myself, you know, Shh. and Meredith said, you know, you're just afraid that God won't take care of us. Fair, fair statement. She was right. I didn't tell her that. But it'll always stick in my mind that night, you know, and, and I remember sitting on the side of the bed, closing my eyes, and saying, Lord, if this is what you didn't want us to do, I'm all in. I've said it before, I'll tell you again, if there's ever been, a, uh, if there has been a, such a thing as an out-of-body experience, that was it right there. Because it's like I stood up after I said that and looked at myself sitting down and said, that's the dumbest thing I think I've ever heard in my life. What in the world do you know about planting a church? Where in the world are your finances going to come from? And I just went on with the list and list. But there was a sense of peace because I felt like this is what the Lord wanted us to do. And I just wanted to be part. So when I talk about giving beyond, I understand a little bit about giving beyond because it wasn't something that I had to give. It was just a response. God, if that's what you're doing, I know what you've done for us, okay? I give. I want to be part. And according to Paul, those in Macedonia, they were struggling. Here they were in a season when it didn't make any sense. And yet there was joy and there was generosity. 
According to verse 2, he says, Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty, it welled up in rich generosity. See, from the world's perspective, from the world's economy, trials and poverty equal anxiety, fear, doubt, selfishness, and greed. Are, you, are we on the same page? See, when you, when you get all that stuff from the world's economy, if I'm going to face this, then this is going to be the result. In other words, the political climate, the ups and downs of the stock market, the stores, the rumors of storms, the rumors of wars, inflation, the pap, the price of gas and eggs and milk and everything else. Meredith was saying, look at how much these crackers cost. I heard her say that this morning. All that stuff equals anxiety, fear, and doubt, and greed, and selfishness, definitely not generosity. But in the passages, we get a little bit of a glimpse of what God's economy looks like. Even though they were going through and being pounded by real life on the outside, what flowed from the inside was joy and generosity. And it was because of God's grace. They realized what God had done and the pressures of the Macedonians that they were facing, it didn't rob them of the joy, of the generosity and giving beyond. I think about the Gospel of Mark and going back to the story where Jesus is sitting near the collection box. Man, aren't you so glad we don't pass those plates anymore in, in, in church? See, as a little kid, I can tell you what I did. I know you didn't do this because you're more the religious than I was, but I, I'm just going to tell you the truth. I mean, I used to look to see who was putting in what. Did you ever do that? I know you did. See, is that a $20 bill? I always look for the person that was taking money out. You know, I'm just, I'm just making some change. Just making some change. That's all. So here's Jesus. He's sitting near the temple one day watching his people are giving their offerings. And there were those that gave a lot. There were those that would stand up there and they would just like, you know, putting money in. Braxton, they just, they, they wanted everybody to know they were putting a lot of money in. So they're, you know. They're listening to hits the bottom of the barrel or whatever they, they took the collection of in. And so here's Jesus sitting while watching while all of this was going on. And there were those that had so much wealth, they never even missed the offerings that they would give. But then there was this one lady who came, maybe you remember the story, and she dropped in two small coins, the widow's mite, the mite being equivalent of like three-eighths of of a cent, and in terms of giving, it wasn't very much, but in proportion to what she had, she gave it all. And it's recorded what Jesus said to his disciples at that time in Mark chapter 12, 43 and 44, when, when Jesus calling his disciples said this, truly I, I tell you, this poor widow, this woman who has a little bit, very little, has put more in the treasury than all the others. See, everybody else is putting in lots, 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 you know, or whatever they had, but this widow, she only put, but Jesus said, no, she gave more. They all gave out of their wealth, out of an abundance of what they had, but she gave out of her poverty. She put in everything she had to live on. In other words, here's a lady, and when she gave, it wasn't just a little bit, even though it was a little bit, but it was everything. I love the story in 2 Samuel in the Old Testament in chapter 24. King David goes to purchase a, a place, a, a piece of land that he could build an altar to the Lord. And the owner, the owner of the property found out that David, what he was doing, and he said, no, he said, no, look, you're not paying me for the land. I'm going to give it to you. And he said, I'm going to give you the oxen to, to use as a burnt offering and also want to provide the wood as an altar. And David said, no. 
And the owner of the property said, yes. And David said, no. And the owner of the property said, yes. And David said, no, you aren't going to do that. No, I'm going to pay you full price because I don't want to sacrifice anything to the Lord that won't cost me. Yet how many times do we give not because it hurts. We give out of the convenience because it's what we're supposed to do. It's interesting. I'm not going to give unless it costs me something. Randy Alcorn in his book, Money, Possessions, and Eternity, he talked about the tithe being a 10% in the Old Testament, that we are to be good stewards of everything that God has entrusted us and blessed us with because that everything that we have belongs to him. And this is what he writes in the book. Being under grace does not mean living, under, living by lower standards than the law. Christ systematically addressed such issues as murder and adultery and taking of oaths and made it very clear that our standards, that his standards, were much higher than those of the Pharisees. That was a teaching out of the Sermon on the Mount that we find in Matthew 5. See, Jesus didn't lower the bar, but he raised it. And it's by God's grace that we have received that we are empowered to live beyond the demands of the law. The third thing I want you to write down really quickly is that generosity is volitional. Free will. Verse 3, For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability entirely on their own. Entirely on their own. They were generous because it was what they wanted to do. They gave out of their free will. It's what they wanted to do. Paul goes on to write in verse 4, they urgently pleaded for us with the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. They gave voluntarily. They wanted to be part. They weren't guilted into giving. But they begged to say, listen, can we participate? Because of the grace that they had received, because of their relationship, they recognized what they had been given. And because they had been given much, they wanted to give much. And Paul wrote that they begged us again and again for the privilege of being part. And I think, though, that we need to mention here that the people that we're talking about weren't covered up in house payments and car payments and cell phone payments and, and other electronic device payments. They weren't tied up with cable bills and all these other bills that we happen to see these days. They didn't live beyond their means, but they lived day by day anticipating God to meet. They worked for what they had. There was no such thing as a freezer, and they, they're going to set it aside, and I'll eat that next week. No, they lived day by day. They also didn't have the security of a 401k, a social security, or other retirement setback. But to give you some background, Paul, he's talking about promoting this offering earlier when he was in Galatia. And then he traveled on westward to Macedonia and also Greece. But when he arrived, he saw the struggles that they were having there. Paul recognized, man, these guys are struggling themselves. How in the world can I turn around and ask them to take up an offering when they themselves are just in, the, in, in as rough shape as the other ones are? So apparently Paul didn't say anything about the offering, but when they found out, they begged him to participate because giving for them, giving an offering wasn't a problem to be avoided, but it was a privilege to be desired. And they wanted to be a part. Paul would write in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, like I said earlier, each man should give what he has decided in his own heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. That 
Greek word for cheerful there is where we get our, our word hilarious, volitional, to give out of your free will because, not because you have to, but because you get to, you want to, you're excited to, and you do so cheerfully with a smile on their face. Last thought, generosity is consequential. This is the result or the effect of verse 5. And he said, and they did not do as we expected. They gave of themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. See, the Macedonians, they gave more than money because, first of all, they had given themselves. Their generosity was just a reflection or an overflow of what was going on on the inside of their hearts. I once heard it said this way. You can't give your substance to the purpose of God until you give yourself to the person of God. See, it's, it's this that God wants. It's not this. I'm not talking about my rear end. I'm talking about my wallet, okay? See, if this over here is okay, and if God's got this, he's got all this other stuff. But that's hard, isn't it, people? It's hard. See, if, if, if generosity is a get-to, if God's got our hearts. I love what John Wesley said, do all the good you can by all the means you can and all the ways you can and all the places you can and all the times you can to all the people you can as long as ever you can. You know why we had the ability, why we can be so generous? because of the generosity that we received from Jesus. When's the last time that you sat down and just recounted your story and remember and reflected on all the things that God has blessed us with, starting with salvation? You know, when it comes to generosity, it's, it's, it's really funny how, how we have expectations for others. And yet we fail to turn those inward and have those same expectations on ourselves. I mean, we want everybody else to be generous, but we ourselves aren't willing. We should have sang the song earlier. We should have sang it, sang it this, at this time right now, the, the song, I Surrender, I Surrender All. I surrender all, I surrender all, all to Jesus, I surrender I surrender all. That's hard, isn't it? See, I, I'll give you a little bit, Jesus. I'll give you the 10%. I, but all? Are you kidding me? Verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, For my sake, for your sake, he became poor. He came to this earth as a human. He would eventually die a criminal's death on a cross for me and for you. And through, it was through his poverty that we might become rich. Would you pray with me today? Father, thank you for the time that we have of spending time in your word and reading your word. We're reminded today that, Lord, that 
there's plenty of room for improvement in this area in my life. There's probably many others. Help us to understand, Lord, that everything that we have, it belongs to you. And you've called us to be steward of those resources. Help us to live as the Macedonians did. Even in those times of extreme poverty and great trial, there was over, overflowing joy and, and just tremendous generosity. Thank you for the privilege that we have for this church body that is very generous in their gifts, their tithes, their offerings, their love, their time. Father, we have a generous church family. I'm thankful for the testimony that it is to this community and how we're able to bless and, and Father, how we're able to be part of what you're doing. For areas of our lives that, that, Lord, that there needs to be improvement, would you convict us of that? And Lord, help us to live in such a way that our lives bring glory to you. As we get ready to walk out these doors today, Father, help us be reminded that we're your ambassadors, that you've called us to be uh, out front and center, not just talking about the word, not just talking about the fact that Jesus is the light of the world, but Father, that we ourselves would be a light. And that, Father, we would be a light, not with intent of drawing people to us, but drawing attention to you. For the person that may be here today that's never trusted Jesus as Lord and Savior, even today, would it be that day that they cry out to you and say, Jesus, save me. Jesus, save me. For the reading of your word, for the presence of the Holy Spirit in this place, for the singing of songs to bring you glory, we close out our time. Father, may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard our hearts, our minds, and our souls in Christ Jesus. As we remember whose we are, let us live in such a way that brings you glory. In Jesus' name, amen.